Thank you for joining Change I am Possible which is India's first future tech podcast. Sincerely appreciate and honored to have you on the show. So for for my listeners who don't know about you I'm just going to give them a little brief. So Mr. Sim Sikut is the government chief information officer of Estonia. He is also titled as deputy secretary general for IT and telecom in Ministry of Economic Affairs and Communications. Sim is one of the founders of Estonia's groundbreaking e-residency program. He was also nominated to A Political's 2018 and 2019 list of world's top 20 most influential people in digital government. Honored to have you on the show, Sim. Really appreciate you taking time being part of the show. So tell me, I mean, because of COVID-19, we are all confined. Estonia doesn't seem to be that case, you know. At least in India, we've been impacted. terribly we don't really know what's going to happen next we are living in uncertain times covid-19 seems to have accelerated digital technology now you guys are, are the pioneer when it comes to digital tech, uh, adoption as a nation so do you view covid-19 as an opportunity for estonia Well, first of all, Eddie, thanks for having me. Exactly, it's uh, it's always an honor to speak from such a small place like Estonia to such a huge place like India, right? <laughs> um, we always joking to say that look for every one of us, there's thousands of you at least. So uh, we envy, <laughs> you know, if we had so many people, we, what we could do, right? <laughs> no, but uh, on a serious note, um, you're quite right. I mean, um, I think COVID nineteen. I'm very optimistic about in a sense that I mean, I hope this on. This this understanding of the importance of digital will stay, um, and I guess we'll see how the pandemic plays out. You know, you're right. There's a lot of uncertainty there. You know how uh, it will evolve in the next months. Are there going to be vaccines? When they come? When is the whole thing going to be over or not? But fundamentally, I hope through that exactly the, the notion that digital it pays to be digital stays. I think Estonian case is an example of that in a sense that. Um, You're right. We have been on a digital journey as a as a nation, as a government, for more than 20 years now. And so, for us, if we now, in middle of March, as we had to switch overnight to not like a full lockdown, but essentially like a special or emergency situation nationwide, and schools got closed, workplaces, you know, you you were not encouraged to go there. So we had to switch to remote work, remote services by government, remote schooling, everything. It was not that much of a deal because these services had been in place anyways, and we have been used to them and, and sort of you know doing things in that way anyways. So obviously yes, um, it was a special time for us as well because nobody had been at home you know for such prolonged periods of time, and you know children still were used to going to school and so forth. But fundamentally, digital infrastructure and services were there, so we saw it pays to be digital because our society was not disrupted uh, because of these times, and we hope. That exactly this gives a bit of inspiration for us too. You said it pays to have you know so many people. I mean, if you have, but you know, I, I feel I, we, we were having this conversation, and I mentioned, I mean, uh, uh, giving the example of David and Goliath. I, I think you guys are the David uh, in the world, and I, I think uh, with uh, the this COVID nineteen and this current situation that we are in, I think we're living in a fantastic time. I, I'm, I'm, it's, it's very. uh unnatural for me to say that we're living in a fantastic time with the covid-19 but if you see covid-19 has been that kind of like a awakening point to the entire world where we have realized okay that the, the three months of three and a half months that we have been on lockdown we have really benefited earth right we we, we were killing it 
besides that we we've, we've kind of like actually understood that we could be more productive from yeah. home you know rather than you know spending one or two hours traveling from your home to work we uh, you know uh, and with your fossil fuel vehicles you know damaging the environment and things like that there's so much that we can do uh, to be better citizens and save a country save a world so i, I think covid-19 has uh, kind of at least brought that point uh, to a wider uh, audience and, and made them realize that this this could be a, a, an opportunity and like you rightfully mentioned i mean you guys seem to have not been disrupted or impacted like the rest of the the, the world for us india uh going suddenly digital the schools have sh- stopped your work has stopped it's almost uh uh something which we are completely not ready for you know where so so yes i mean obviously we we it's it's not that we not digitize as a country we've been doing we 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 taking these small small in, incremental steps but you as a country estonia has been on this for the longest time so i, I believe the small and con- big countries i think no longer are an issue it's what you do the choices that you do will decide the future so so tell me you be if, if 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 i can briefly jump in just just to offer a comment in in the direction that you highlighted what's been amazing to see in this pandemic as well is is two things from my point of view first of all most and many of the tools we need to handle you know uh basically uh, the shift now to for example even remote work they have been there so it's basically just been the question do uh, you know we have not been using them so just like you rightly say i mean as opposed to you know traveling a few hours uh, commuting to work or all the business travels we have been doing you know flying from place to place just you know get joins and meetings and whatever we can handle these things with tools that have been on the market anyway uh so it was just a question of adoption of them same thing in government i mean uh, whether it's Estonia there are many great countries or governments around the world who have done different digital amazing things these things exist often you can just basically copy them or even take them if they're open source and you don't have to reinvent those wheels so my point being that that in a way it's an it's a great great challenge to adapt now but at the same time so many of the things to adapt with the tools exist and so i think in that sense we are also in a lucky position we don't have to reinvent all those wheels always there's also space for innovation so i'm not saying that we i mean covid is spe- special in many cases too but fundamentally uh it it's it's like a yeah like a virtuous crisis in a way i would agree these technologies such as uh augmented reality virtual reality artificial intelligence iot blockchain everybody knows about it everybody talks about it we go to conferences and then we talk about it and everybody wants to create that digital transformation but when it comes to implementation we we, we pretty much so because we change does not come easy talk is easy implementation is, is is not that so so tell me you have been the force behind estonia's e residency program can you talk about it uh, a, a little bit and how and when was it incepted well it wasn't just me it was uh, quite a big team and even in terms of the like we said co-founders there were several of us one of them um, my predecessor tavi got actually works extensively in india now by the way helping you know exactly some of the digital advancement there but um e residency was born out of um, two necessities but first of all 
we have we used to have the digital services for entrepreneurs to run, to set up a company, to run your company, to manage everything, you know the red tape around the company. We used to have that anyway, but it was locked to that you had to physically come to Estonia for that. And so we realized, but hey, we have these partners, we are by, and the investors, be them from India or elsewhere. Uh, why don't we make it easier for them to actually manage the companies in Estonia? And so that was like the initial use case. But then it was, um, you know, Davi got kind of a few others who said, look, hey, it could be actually a bigger opportunity. I mean, if the services are great, perhaps people, you know, will want to use them without ever having any relation to Estonia so far. So we threw it out there. We tested if there's interest and it was mind blowing for us uh, how well it was received. So basically now we have people from all over the world uh, applying for e-residency, which means that you get the digital identity, the digital ID to use as a key to our digital services ecosystem. And with that, they set up companies, they run from abroad and many of them from India as well. And the reason being that they want to be trusted in European Union single market. So as an Estonian company, exactly, you have an easier access to, to selling and, and invoicing or whatever in, in Europe. Or secondly, they want to roam the world, like digital nomads, as we say, right? So, you know, today they might be in, you know, uh, uh, Mumbai or Bombay or Kolkata or, you know, tomorrow they might be Bali uh, and then the next day in London. And to operate like that, you need to somehow still have a base ju uh, jurisdictionally. So we offer a nice way to have that. What are your views on... Uh, you know, these walls that countries like America are planning to build. What are your views on borders? You know, because e-residency e program says, okay, I mean, you know, everybody can come in. I mean, you know, because here, uh, all countries open for entrepreneurs who want to make a difference. What are your views on people who are building walls and creating barriers and boundaries? Well, Estonia, with our 1.3 million people, like, you know, we don't afford to have those walls. I mean, you know, we are, we are built on a fundamentally open model, open economy model, uh, ever since, the, you know, we restarted the country in 1991. And that's been really for the realization that, look, I mean, everybody's better off if we trade, if we move and so forth. So, um, so yeah, we, it is not in our DNA, <laughs> I would even say at this point, to, to really talk about wars and, and et cetera. I mean, and, and secondly, we, we realize the benefits of flow, if I can use that word. So we are quite happy if Estonians leave and come back, or you know, even if they stay abroad, but still stay connected as a diaspora. I mean, obviously India knows everything about this diaspora. Um, so it's about the flow that, you know, we might get you here for a year, or we might get you affiliated to Estonian economy as an e-resident from abroad, but that's okay too, because you know, still contribute something, and you know, you're part of the community. If it's a tech community, if it's a business community, if it's something else. So my point being that we are happy. The more friends there are, the more there's flow of talent, of ideas, of capital people. So uh, for us, that's the only way to survive being as small as we are. Right. So, so what has your experience been? You know, I mean, with digital digitization, obviously there are a lot of pros, right? But I'm sure there's a lot of a, a, a bit of cons also. So, what's the journey been so far? Twenty years of Estonia being digitized. What are the pros and what are the cons? Sure. No, but it's always easy to talk about twenty years in, in five minutes. <laughs> but um, it's been a journey, indeed. I mean, look. First of all, we we don't have everything perfect. I mean, there's still stuff that we are struggling with. Uh, be it exactly in the case, for example, how to make the best use of data that we have in the government. Uh, we've been a bit so slow there, 
But I would, I mean, we don't really see cons, if I'm very honest with you. Uh, and there's a particular reason for that. We acknowledge that there are risks we have to deal with. So basically, digitization can go wrong, but that's not a con. It's a con if you don't manage it well. So let me give you an example. So issues of privacy or issues of cybersecurity, these are risks we have to well account for. We have to understand that, you know, for example, the way we build our registries and the way we build services for, for citizens, uh, we need to do it in a way that we don't violate the trust, which means that we have to keep the system secure. We have to build in safeguards, for legally speaking, procedurally speaking, technically speaking, that allow them to make sure that we don't misuse their data, for example. But these are the things we have to do in order to be digital. It's not like a con or, you know, the, the, the counter argument, why not to be digital? So I hope I'm making sense, but, but, but that's at least that we have seen that, again, there's, there's so much to be gained from going digital in terms of time we save for our entrepreneurs, the efficiency we bring to the people in the daily lives, even that they don't have to queue in offices and so forth. Um, our government delivers better because uh, whether it's, you know, ensuring the streets are safe or people can be healthy or uh, even bureaucracy is smaller, you know, the way to court system that, all these things, the benefits can be so great that we just have to deal to make sure that we can, you know, put the, the neighbors in place, the right infrastructure, the right sort of legal environment, the right sort of skills for people, you know, and, and then they can, you know, the cons don't reveal themselves. Yeah, so with digitization, obviously, I mean, there, there's, a, there's a larger uh, section of people who don't like change, you know, people are pretty much used to the way, way things are functioning. For example, in India, I mean, you know, we are a huge country, 1.3 billion people. We, we, we have an Aadhaar card, we have a PAN card, we have a passport. And, but still, today, you, you walk into a government office, everything is still papers, still papers. So yes, I, I'm, I'm not saying that we are not making an effort. I think we're making a fantastic effort with Aadhaar card. I think it's a brilliant uh, uh, initiative. But it's not being conversed together and the benefits are still not being seen. Hopefully, the, uh, maybe things in, in the near, near future, things will get a, a little bit more uh, clearer on the, on the benefits of it. So you have been fronting AI governance, uh, you, which you're calling the AI National CRAT Strategy. Okay, can you just run through uh, what it is and... Yes. So um, for the last, I think it's almost two years now, we've been um, building out and, and delivering on our national AI strategy. Uh, the point being that, well, first of all, I think all the governments have one. I think India has, has one too, right? right? right, right. And, and secondly speaking, um, we see that for us, artificial intelligence can be such a significant next level boost to what we have been doing so far. And, and I'll explain what I mean. Our fundamental problem is that we don't have enough people to do all the things we need to do. <laughs> and mind you, we are also not small, but we are also shrinking. So uh, aging and shrinking. Uh, so for us, if the more we can rely on machines, for example, I believe that crudely, to you know, get the routine jobs done in office environment, in a factory, in uh, transportation, whatever, the, the better because then we can sort of you know have people do much more valuable jobs and you know uh, economically speaking as well as in terms of the personal you know aspirations so for our point of view the regular 
argument against AI that there will be people jobless doesn't really hold. For us, it's a, it's a boon if we can have people just doing things that are you know of, of bigger value. Um, and so, realizing this, we started actually heavily looking. Okay, how can we uh, boost the uptake of AI? We are quite realistic that we will not be the birthplace, uh, you know, for the next scientific inventions of that. But we have always tried to be really quick and thorough adopter of things that might be useful for us. That's why we started, you know, with internet technologies back in the 90s that led to digital government. You know, that's why we, it's, it's AI these days. So it comes from this realization. And we've been especially doing stuff in public sector. In uh, our particularity is that public sector is digitally more advanced than most of private sector. Um, and so we now literally are trying to take experimentation with AI to all different ministries, sectors, fields, policies, and just to basically, you know, have them taste it out and get the, like, the ball rolling and going. And I'm quite happy to say it's, it's starting to roll. Right. So can you run me through a couple of implementations of this AI? Yeah, sure. Use cases? Yeah. Sure, sure. No, I mean, they are, we see many low-hanging fruits, even with the today's sort of narrow level of, of AI technology, meaning, you know, specifically trained uh, machines. One of my favorite examples is that, look, your phone and my phone, um, it can transcribe already the text we speak, right? Mind you, it might be English only, but fundamentally, um, it's in our daily pockets, so to speak. But still, we have had people working in our parliament, in our courts, to do the prescription of you know, official meetings, do like the protocols of those meetings. Why? So basically, we are now just you know, training sort of machines to understand Estonian language. We have our own uh, beautiful language. So, um, and then we don't need to have those people just doing the meaningless job of, you know, just, you know, typing stuff up that they hear. Very concrete use case. Uh, secondly, um, there's a lot of stuff on, uh, on how to, um, to be, be more specific, you know, more targeted, more, more effective in the work that government does, for example, for inspections. I mean, um, we used to send inspectors, whether that's for tax or for other reasons, blindly out, just, you know, somehow, you know, risk-based, trying to understand, okay, which companies to somehow oversee, uh, or, you know, how to make sure that the grants are not being misused. They just, you know, went to random plots in the, in the, in the countryside. Now, they're, for example, in the agriculture field, using satellite imagery to then understand, okay, is the plot being used properly? And so they go in to inspect in person only if there's, you know, machine says, okay, there's now some trouble there. So we are much more targeted in just making sure that grants go to the right uh, purpose and not are properly used and that effectively public spending uh, brings an impact, for example. Or the third thing, and I mean, this is no news, um, we see that we can take fundamentally the sort of uh, user experience or the interactions with the government to the next level. And this is not live yet. So this is something we're trying to build out now. But look, the series in, in iPhones or the Google Assistants or the you know, Cortanas in Microsoft. So basically our world will, we believe, inevitably move to like voice-based virtual assistants. Right. You telling Siri to get something done. That's how you find your next restaurant or, you know, uh, whatever. So we see that us as a government, that's our chance to actually move to those channels as well. So basically, government interaction could be exactly a serial way, as opposed to you somehow finding out our website that we have to build or an app we have to download, and then you get access to the service. So we are effectively trying to move yeah, our interactions to, to virtual assistants and build out the sort of 
interoperable backend um, ecosystem of, of both private sector and government uh, virtual agents that will handle your stuff for you. Right. So you, you mentioned that, I mean, you know, you don't see a job impact with, with uh, AI. So I, I've been a tech prop proponent, right? I've been invested in the AR, VR, MR space since 2016. But I do know that technology is growing exponentially. And yes, uh, it's predicted 40% of these traditional Fortune uh, founded companies are going to go defunct. So is the traditional industries such as your education, your brick and mortar education systems, which are so hung up uh, with uh, their, their traditional legacy functioning, you know, because they don't see that, you know, you, you have this online flood of education, which is happening, which is free, of course, there's massive open online courses. So, so that the, the, these are small examples, which I'm giving you, but you know, with, with the, the, the growing nature of uh, uh, technology, the way it's growing exponentially, I do frankly see that maybe not now, but possibly in another uh, five to 10 years, automation is already on the way. I mean, there will be job loss. Uh, how in that scenario, are you looking at universal basic income? What uh, is the future case scenario where automation grows to a level where, uh, I, I'm not saying not even like a decade, I'm saying maybe like a two decade or more where, where automation comes in, in a way that it's doing anything and everything what a human can do much, much better. What happens in a world like that? Is Estonia prepared for something like that? Well, two things. First, um, as the first thing, I'm not saying that we don't see jobs impact. I'm saying that we see the jobs impact as a desirable thing. And I think that was really sort of the point right, okay. just trying to get across that, uh, that we are lack, we, our problem is that we have a mismatch in terms of, let's say, this you know, um, the current structure in the labor market, so basically where people work and where there's basically more work to be done. So if we can, you know, you know release them to the, to the labor market and then add in, you know, uh, retraining or uh, uh, educational efforts, then actually, you know, they can do much more valuable jobs. So that was my point. And even if I look at, say, some of the examples you brought, we, in most professions, we have a lack of, in, in today's model, uh, or today's sort of work modes or operational modes, we, we lack people. Teachers, you know, there's a shortage of them. You know, medical work, the same thing. Um, so my point being that if we can somehow have machines augment the work that people do in those professions today, and the workers that are there today, you know, actually can learn additional skills to then coexist and, you know, use the augmentation of machines, that would be a sweet spot. So this is what we're aiming for. Not saying that we don't see jobs impact, but that we we'd rather say that it's an impact that could actually benefit us uh, to be more sort of efficient on, on, on the next scale. My second point being, um, look, it's a tough, I mean, you're asking a tough question. We don't have like, you know, 30 years ahead of strategy in terms of uh, if machines are able to do almost anything and everything better than the people and what happens then. First of all, quite frankly, it's quite far off still a scenario. I mean. Um, I don't think realistically we can plan ahead more than 10 years anyway. I mean, in tech, you know, we're talking about two, three years max. But, but, I, but I hear you when it comes to education and a lot of these sort of, you know, effectiveness of the responses comes down to education. As we feel, we have to think 10 years ahead just because of the lag in the educational delivery and output is so great, right? With K-12 and, you know, uh, four years of uni and whatever. So we see that the response has to go through education and, and, and clearly we have to um, get much better in sort of lifelong learning parts 
retraining, uh, stuff like that. People having different careers. So we have been for the last two or three years now experimenting with different labor market and educational measures to see that how can we, you know, support transition, uh, especially of, to higher technical skills among those people who used to, you know, study, I don't know, 30 years ago. So we are, we, are, we are seeing what works and what not, but we don't have a perfect solution yet. But we, we would like to bring it to education. Yeah. Lovely. Lovely. So are you looking at building some kind of partnerships with India and Estonia? Because, you know, there is so much talent over here. And Estonia is a beautiful country. I mean, I, I, I always say this to my wife. I mean, when I have a five-year-old kid, I, I say, when my son grows up, I'm not sending him to America. I'm not sending him to UK. <laughs> I, I, if I have to send him for uh, abroad, I will be sending him to either Bhutan. That's my first priority or Estonia, or Sweden. I'm definitely not sending him to US. You guys are a beautiful country. I think you're doing beautiful things. So is there any bridge that you intend to build between Indian and Estonian entrepreneurs? Well, first of all, thank you for, for the very kind words. You know, I'll, I'll hold you to that. <laughs> so just a, just, just a few more years, right? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but I mean, hey, Bhutan's a tough competition. So, you know, it's, it's, it's going to be tricky. We'll figure out something. <laughs> um, well, so, yes, I mean, we would like to extend and build those bridges way more. I think that they currently exist. Um, and it goes sort of both ways. I mean, obviously, there's a lot of talent and a lot of also ideas in India and stuff that actually, you know, sort of you know, could be transplanted from, from there to our sort of uh, environment and the other way around. I mean, some of the breaches that exist, as I said before, some of the Estonian um, tech experts and companies have been working with some of the companies in, in India trying to, you know, transfer some of the digital government and, and solutions knowledge all the way to like digital identity, how to make Aadhaar better and so forth. Um, it's been a bit small scale. We're only happy to extend that because fundamentally, look, I mean, Estonia, not even Estonia, a lot of digital solutions have to be homegrown, not only because of culture and language and governance differences, but also even scale. Like we can never be at the scale of India. We just don't know how, right? So, but if we complement with some of the know-how that perhaps, you know, Estonian tech community has, there might be something in there. I might even be building for the third countries. I mean, beyond India. The other way around, I think we've been more successful in building the bridges the other way around. We have welcomed uh, Indian entrepreneurs to e-residency program. Uh, we have are welcomed them to join our sort of startup community here, whether on startup visa or uh, you know, just going to work with some of the great tech companies and unicorns we have here. So I think this, looking at the size of India, this is obviously just you know, drops in the ocean. But from our point of view, these are valuable bridges that can only build further. So we'll be only happy to. Right, right. Uh, yeah, so, so yes, I mean, I, I, I really hope that we, we have like more bridges be, being built between countries. I, I really hope that these borders which divide us falls apart, apart and, and, and we get into a beautiful world where we connect with each other more and we build businesses that really help the planet. So I believe that we we living in fantastic time and technology, I think, is, is going to play a huge role in making this world better. So, you know, with the rate of the technology growth, especially in the artificial intelligence, it's so at this point in time, it's in a narrow space. It can do only one specific thing, but it can do that thing way better than any human can uh, do. Uh, we currently have so many problems in the world that it's not funny, and especially with COVID-19, 
uh, I, I think we're living in trying times, uncertain times, especially the countries which have been disrupted by uh, uh, COVID-19. Luckily, Estonia is not one of those countries. India definitely is one of those countries which has been disrupted. Uh, we, the, the, the politicians, the, the policymakers are largely... Uh, 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 in, in most of the countries, including possibly my country, is uh, very uh, self-serving. Do you see AI growing to a stage where we could have AI governance? Not just when I say AI governance, where we have these bits and pieces of it, where, where, where we have maybe like a elected leader, a president, a prime minister, but an artificial uh, intelligence. I'll be very honest with you. It's very hard for me to see that for, for one particular reason. Um, you said before that um, you know, talked about the reluctance to change or to change the way you work, right? And obviously there are two things that, that sort of are at play here. Well, first of all is that um, why are people reluctant to change? I don't think it's just basically, I don't, I don't believe it's a, that much a cultural issue. It's, it's open down some incentives. So it's very hard for me to see, practically speaking, that, you know, human leaders would have incentives to, you know, give away their role in terms of, you know, power and, and running the countries like that. Or even, or even, let's say, I mean, it's not just a question of leaders in democracies, of course, that, you know, that, that people go so far to actually, you know, start trusting some, some machine more than... Uh, than, than the human leaders. Um, I'm not conservative on this. I'll be happy to, you know, I'm, I'm very cautiously, carefully following the experiments that I don't know, I think some companies have done, and, you know, around that to have board members as, as AI system. But yeah, I'm just um, a bit to the, I would say, realistic side that I don't see this going beyond the national leaderships anytime soon. But, but hear me out on the other thing. I still come back to, but it's, to me, this discussion is not about substitution. It's still about sort of, as the buzzword goes, augmentation. I mean, uh, national leaders, governments, presidents, whatever, uh, civil servants like myself being helped by, you know, smart assistants and, and AI systems by all means. I th I'm only hoping that this will grow fast enough. But replacing is a different story. On that note, it was lovely talking to you and getting your views. Uh, any last words? And, and what is your future vision? What do you see Estonia in another 10 uh, years? Well, in another 10 years, first of all, I, I hope that um, we have a very specific target when it comes to digital government of ours. I, I'll start with that. Basically, we want to get, uh, get away from people's lives. <laughs> We want to get rid of the interactions and services, make them as natural, be it sort of, yeah, you know, uh, your phone based or otherwise, that you don't somehow see that I'm interacting with the government now. I have some progress I have to take care of. Stuff just happens for you. That's the sort of experience that we want to build, at least in Estonia here. Um, beyond that, well, uh, I think my last words would be that uh, to say that, look, I, I hope that the COVID situation in India gets way better. And, and uh, whether it's to fight off this pandemic or otherwise, if... Uh, Estonian expertise and, and solutions and, and the tech community can be of any help to the big India and, and your challenges. We'd be only happy to talk and share and, and, and build something together. Lovely, lovely. Sim, thank you, thank you. And, and, and I think going forward, together, collaborative model is going to be the main key if you want to make the world a better place because... Uh, like I said in the beginning, I mean, you know, you don't need to be like a big country or small country. 
the things that you do and the value you add we didn't speak about the proactive service but that that's that's so brilliant where you as a government is taking an initiative and helping people that's so very awesome and i think technology is a tool will only augment us and help us and we need to like like i said i mean you know we need to use it in a way where we help us in this uh, role ahead of us the uh, evolution of a mankind you know and, and i think we be in a beautiful time this covid could just be one of those minor roadblock which is come and which is uh, woken up the world and uh, made everybody realize the importance of coming together being together and obviously technology i think which is going to be the tool like i said which is going to be redefining our future and on last note i think estonia is is an exemplary nation a leader which what what you doing i think most if most of the countries even if they realize the importance of digitization and what you have done you have everything out in the open your transparency and trust model which is i think fantastic i think the rest of the 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 countries just need to follow that and i think will be will be a much better world so really appreciate sim you being part of change i am possible podcast thank you so thank, much thank, thank you and to my listeners if you like what you see in here please press the subscribe button until next time see you guys bye bye thank you thank you sir